wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged Podcast, episode 85, Sleep and Fear, So Scared to Sleep. Welcome everyone to the Sleep Unplugged Podcast. My name is Chris Winter. I'm a neurologist and sleep specialist and your host for this episode of the podcast. It's the first Wednesday of the month. I can't believe we're already in February. So first, when, when, uh, first, sorry, first Monday of the month, I can't believe it's already February. So first Monday of the month, month means it is Insomnia Monday. So we always talk about an insomnia topic on the first Monday of each month. And here we are, we're going to talk about sleep and fear, which is something I think about a lot when I think about insomnia. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode of the podcast and get a lot out of it. If you're new to the Sleep Unplugged podcast, welcome. We're really glad you're here. We consider ourselves a little family. If you're a veteran of the podcast, welcome back. So it's been a busy week. We talked about sleep and cell phones last week. I got some great comments about cell phone use. Also got a lot of comments supporting me and, and we're upset about one of our listeners who made some critical comments about the podcast last week, which again, I sort of support. Uh, we had a listener who wrote in and said, I'm I kind of get tired of all the talk you do before you get to the meat of your podcast. And a lot of you were not happy about that. But listen, we're we're happy to listen to all opinions on this, uh, good or bad. So keep them coming. We 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 don't shy away from critical opinions. And again, I think our this 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 listener was kind of right. We do sort of beat around the bush and talk about things and artists and music and stuff like that. So if you want to get in touch with the show, please do. Our social media is Dr. Chris Winter Twitter, Dr. Chris Winter Instagram, TikTok, Blue Skies Threads. You can find us on YouTube. We have a Sleep Unplugged YouTube channel. Which, man, I'm going to tell you something—a little behind-the-scenes peek here. I get inundated with emails, help wanting me, wanting to help me optimize my YouTube page. If you're listening, I have zero interest in optimizing my YouTube page. We record this. We have a video that goes along with it. I pop it on YouTube when I, you know, post the the podcast. Some people like to look at the videos. Most people consume this podcast via podcast platforms, but there are some very faithful watchers of the podcast. And so we're happy you're here. We're happy to put the YouTube thing out there, but please stop writing me to tell me how you can I can get more YouTube followers. That's not not at all what we're looking for here. So uh, we always start the show off with comments, corrections, criticisms. Before I do, I want to give a shout out to uh, a fantastic sleep specialist, um, Shelby Harris. Um, and I'm, I'm going to pull up her her Instagram real quick. She's Sleep Doc Shelby. So Shelby Harris is a professor, I believe at Einstein up in New York. She's a doctor of psychology, a great sleep specialist. She wrote the book, Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia. And she invited me to be on a panel. So every year, all the academic doctors get together and have a big sleep meeting. And this year it's going to be in Houston. And she said, I, I think I'd like to do a panel where we get together and talk about the role of social media in sleep medicine. And I thought, you know, usually I'm not kind of 
really interested in those kinds of panels and stuff like that. It's often a big time commitment and it's on your own dime kind of thing. But, you know, I thought this was a great idea. It's kind of unique and, and, and probably something more people should pay attention to a, how to present yourself in a social media world and the pitfalls and the, and the promises. And, and, you know, I found it a great way to deliver information. I mean, our YouTube video on catathrenia, I think has gone over 4,000 views that's like the number of patients I see in a year kind of thing with one YouTube video, we've educated 4,000 people about catathrenia. So I think there's real merit there. I mean, you don't have to do corny stuff and, you know, if you don't want to on social media, it can just be a, a platform for distributing good information about sleep. So anyway, she put together this panel, it was a proposal and then it got rejected. And I'm going to tell you something, a little behind the scenes note here. I've been to a lot of these meetings and I was really shocked that this meeting, that this proposal wasn't accepted just because you go to these meetings and it's a multi-day affair. And, you know, I'm kind of an old guy now. You go and, and there's not a lot of new, you know, it's sort of like... Um, in fact, I wrote her back and said, you know, I'm really sorry that happened because I think your, your idea had a lot of merit. So I guess we'll stick to the, you know, how to score breathing disturbances and dental appliances. There's always something about dental appliances, um, you know, CPAP compliance, how to get people to stay. So it's kind of, it's, it's to some degree repetitive. And so I just wanted to give a shout out. You should follow her. And, and her great message because she gets social media and she does a fantastic job with it. So it's unfortunate that she can't spread her knowledge to other young doctors because I think that, you know, social media and exploring and utilizing these platforms is a real positive thing. And you all have made me believe that based upon your response to this little podcast. Uh, so anyway, I just want to give a shout out to Shelby. You're great. Um, keep at it. I uh, want to do, for our comments, corrections, criticisms, go to Kathleen. Kathleen comes from us, comes to us from Greater Nottingham. So I think in the past three episodes, we've talked to people from the Netherlands and Norway, and now we've got Greater Nottingham, which is literally Robin Hood territory, Sherwood Forest. So Rachel comes to us from Greater Nottingham, not to be confused with those terrible people from lesser Nottingham, which we can all agree. There's not a lot of, you know, reputable, redeemable people from lesser Nottingham, but that's not Rachel. Rachel's from greater Nottingham. So we love her. And Rachel says, look, I read your book. I'm actually a pretty good sleeper. I've got kids. I put way too much emphasis on my career. My sleep habits are kind of rubbish. But she mentioned something in my first book called the Ice Bucket Challenge, and I'll leave that as a cliffhanger, which I put in the book and kind of, you know, when you reread your own book, so certain things you're like, that's really well done. I really like the way I said that. There's other things you're like, ah, I don't know if I should have even put that in there as kind of throwaway. And, you know, the Ice Bucket Challenge was something I wrote and almost took out, kind of like menopause, which we've talked about before. I took everything out about menopause because... I needed to shorten the book a little bit. That was a mistake. But so many people have written to me positive things about this silly little thing I wrote called the Ice Bucket Challenge that I'm really pleased that I didn't listen to my instinct and, and take that out. And I'm really happy that it's helped you, Rachel, 
to kind of organize your sleep schedule and your wake up time. And, you know, she said it's really made a big difference. So her sleep habits are no longer rubbish. So I really appreciate you writing in. And Rachel actually sent me a voice memo, which I don't get too many of those. And it was really great to hear somebody say things like that in their own voice. So I really appreciate that, Rachel. Uh, we always talk about a uh, song lyric at the top of the show. If you are interested in the songs that we talk about, you can find them all on the Spotify playlist. If you go to Spotify and search up Sleep Unplugged Volume 2, we're on Volume 2 now. All the songs we talk about on the show are on there. And this week, we're talking about a lyric from the Iron Maiden song, Infinite Dreams. I discovered Iron Maiden at some point in high school. A buddy of mine named Sean and I were really into Iron Maiden. I think the first song that I remember was Flight of Icarus off of Peace of Mind. I mean, that that was sort of my getting ready for a wrestling match in high school. Flight of Icarus was the the song that, that, that I played. I was a huge fan of the song Wasted Years from somewhere in time. But anyway, so uh, Iron Maiden, they're coming up on their seventh album. They don't have a really great idea for it. And one of their bandmates said, look, I read a book, I have this fantasy book called Seventh Son. Um, and I think we should do a whole album about it because it's our seventh album. So they recorded the album Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. And it was this concept album, this idea that if you were the seventh son, that you had sort of magical tendencies. And if you were the seventh son of a seventh son, then those tendencies were even amplified. So the whole album was this sort of storied concept album. And it's awesome. I remember being completely obsessed and blown away by the second side where it was seventh son of a seventh son. The prophecy and the clairvoyant were one, two, three songs that tells this you know crazy story. But anyway, a uh, huge fan of Bruce Dickinson, who's the lead singer, who's actually from Nottinghamshire. Uh, so it's interesting. In one episode, we've talked about Rachel from Nottingham and Bruce Dickinson from Nottinghamshire, about fifteen miles away um, from each other. So, um, but anyway, uh, so this is the song "Infinite Dreams," and the lyric is. Um, so scared to sleep, but also so scared to wake or something like that. It's a fantastic song. So I love this concept of being scared to sleep. Um, and we'll talk about the differences between truly being scared to sleep, which we often refer to as somnophobia, versus scared of not sleeping, which I think is a pretty workable definition of insomnia. So we'll kind of get into that. So let's let's talk about sleep and fear. And we really can't talk about sleep, fear of sleep without sort of bringing in anxiety. So when we think about individuals who struggle with insomnia, a lot of those individuals have a baseline anxiety. And when you look at common psychological conditions in, in, in the world, the most common mental health disorder out there is anxiety. So anxiety probably affects somewhere around 20% of adults. So if you're in a room with 10 people, two of those individuals most likely have some dealing with insomnia, a generalized anxiety, uh, phobia, you know, social anxiety. There's all kinds of different you know, forms of, of anxiety. And just to be clear, if you're listening to the beginning of the podcast, I'm a neurologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist either. And sleep's a wonderful thing because it's the intersection of so many disciplines. I mean, what other discipline brings in neurology, 
psychiatry, pediatrics, ENT, you know, pulmonary, they're, they're all kind of in there, right? And, and sleep sort of sits at that hub. So when we think about individuals with insomnia, anxiety is to some degree necessary to make the cycle work. Meaning that if an individual, the longer they're in bed and it's taking them a while to fall asleep on a Monday night, it's not ratcheting up anxiety, then the process to some degree kind of falls apart. So when we think about it, how do we define anxiety? Anxiety, the, the, the definition I think that, that works well is sort of an apprehension, a tension, an uneasiness, or a fear that stems from the anticipation of danger or the anticipation of danger processes are happening when in fact there really is no danger. So the body is responding to a danger, whether or not it's there or not. So in, in other words, there can be appropriate forms of anxiety. You're in a house and you smell smoke. That's going to create anxiety of an anticipation of danger that, that's there. But I think for most people who have sort of a generalized anxiety, it's the processes being initiated. So all those things that are happening when we smell smoke are being initiated, but there is no smoke. And that really sits at the core to some degree of a problem I've always kind of had with CBTI. And if you are like, what's CBTI, Chris? Well, CBTI, if you go back to episode 33, the scientific results are in CBTI is the cure for insomnia. And so CBTI is basically a reworking of the dialogues, beliefs, and things we do internally around sleep in an effort to curtail that process that happens when we smell smoke. So in other words, you're trying to relearn what's happening because it's initiating a process that's actually working against your ability to sleep. And it's hard to understand what somebody who has anxiety goes through when you don't have it yourself. And if you think about, you know, fearful situations or even better, think of a fearful situation where there really wasn't a situation. And to me, I always think about you know, fear of the dark or, you know, I, when, you know, a couple times a year, we would go see my grandparents. They lived in Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, one, one pair lived in Charleston, West Virginia. Another uh, pair lived out in a, a town called Nitro. And the, my mother's family who lived in Charleston had a house with a basement and the basement had a basement. And it was the craziest thing, meaning you would go downstairs into the basement and there was like a little sitting room and there was a, a little uh, bedroom. And then off the bedroom was this kind of unfinished room, which was kind of scary. It was terrifying to me, kind of. It was like a little shower kind of roughed in. And then there was some crutches. Hey, I can visualize it today. There were crutches hanging on the wall, like the cement block. It was a cement floor, cement, those tiny little windows at the very top of the wall, because they're actually at ground level outside. So they did have, you know, two of those little windows. And I remember going into that room and just being terrified, heart pounding in my, I have no idea why it just seemed kind of haunted. 
it just seemed like some massacre was about to happen there or some portal to a remember the movie hellraiser oh god I, you know, it was that kind of, like i just expected those creatures you know the little pins in their head and the little chatterbox mouth or what i expected those creatures at any point just to walk out of that unfinished room into that little bedroom because sometimes i would sleep down there and it was a harrowing experience it was just awful now to go even further, because you really need to hear this, the basement had a basement. So you could go even deeper underground in this weird situation. So it was kind of like almost like a anyway. So long story short, everything about that place terrified me. But objectively, there was nothing there to fear. It was a room with some crutches and some old textbooks. I guess some old clothes, some furniture that wasn't being used at the time. That was it. That's all that was down there. Yet my mind was creating something that was truly next level terrifying. So when I think about CBTI, it's a positive thing. I'm not here to bash CBTI. It's, Chris, let's talk about you in the basement and what you feel. Well, I feel like this guy from another world's going to come out with these little pins in my head and basically drag me off to some terrible place and you know whatever okay why do you feel that way well i don't know it just seems really scary to me okay great is there any reason have you ever seen any has that ever happened to you do you think that actually makes sense what so as you kind of talk through the situation my guess is a skilled individual maybe shelby who we talked about earlier could kind of walk me through that and help me sort of reconstruct my beliefs about the basement so that I don't fear what are they called cinnabites. I just talked about cinnabites <laughs> that you don't feel that the cinnabites are going to grab you and drag you to a terrible place. So that's what CBTI is. But to some degree, you're kind of not, you're acknowledging the basement, you're acknowledging the fear as being a real thing. And it, this all struck me one time when I was on a panel with some really, really sleep, smart sleep doctors. And somebody asked the question, if you're in bed and you can't fall asleep, what should you do? And I was getting ready. It was kind of one of those things where anybody could answer and I hadn't spoken for a bit. No, it's just going to answer. And one of the other doctors on the panel kind of interrupted and said, or not interrupted, she just answered. She said, you get out of bed. And I remember thinking about that answer and sort of the way she said the answer, which was, oh, you get the hell out of there. And it, in the moment, it kind of made me feel, because I was getting ready to say, well, you can do one of several things. There's several options here. And that option was the CBTI option that we often talk about. If you're in bed for longer than a certain period of time, you got to get out of bed to go do something because you don't want to create more anxiety by being in that situation. So the CBTS is let's remove you from that anxiety situation and have you go back when you're not feeling anxious. But you know, to me, that answer creates anxiety. That answer makes me feel like if I stayed in bed that I'm doing the wrong thing or maybe even a bad thing. 
So I've all, I've never, and I think we've talked about that before in, in our, we did an episode a long time ago about, you know, the, the bad sleep advice. And I think that might've been one of the things we talked about. And, and to me, it's bad advice because if somebody said, could I just stay in bed? Is that okay? I think that it is. I think it's more than okay. I mean, I always ask people, you can stay in bed. How does it make you feel? If it's, well, I don't mind being in bed. It's kind of nice. It's relaxing to me. I kind of embrace it. Then I think that's a great place for you to be. You don't have to get out of bed because when you start using, you need to do this or you have to do this, I almost feel like we give more power to the fear. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Like that we're, we're sort of, you know, it's, it's like taking over it's like me invading Canada with a water balloon. You know, I'm you know across the border. I've got a water balloon in my hand, and I declare, okay, I I now control Canada, and you can't stop me. And and if you try, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this water balloon. Well, I mean, I guess Canada could negotiate with me. And well, let's let's troubleshoot some ideas. How are we gonna deal with this threat? You know, well, we could just you know confront him. No, 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 we can't do that. You can't confront him because he could use that water balloon. Like. I think at some point you'd probably say, I don't believe Chris with the water balloon is necessarily a threat. He's just some guy with a water balloon. Like we could also just ignore him and pretend like he's not even there because what's the worst that's going to happen? He's going to throw a water balloon and hit somebody and it gets them a little bit wet and that's it. He's out of water balloons and it's all over. So I think we have to sometimes be careful with CBTI and the dogma of it because it kind of creates more fear. And I think we do that a lot. And I think that's always well-meaning. You know, it's it's the tips and tricks. It's the TikTok trend. It's the sleepy girl mocktail. I love this sort of insomnia cycle that we create. And the insomnia cycle is insomnia is to be feared. And it's a big problem. It affects a lot of people. In fact, again, 20% of people have anxiety, 50% of anxiety people have insomnia. So if two out of 10 people have anxiety, one out of 10 has insomnia you know, of the anxiety people. You know, so 10% of the population. So we're going to treat this as something to be feared, something that has to be dealt with, right? Can't ignore it. It's real. It's a real threat. So what can we do to stop it? Well, we could try one part ice, half cup pure tart cherry juice, one tablespoon of magnesium powder and lemon lime flavored soda or sparkling water. That is the sleepy girl mocktail. And so somebody comes up with it, posts it on TikTok and you know, 10 million people see it. And there's all kinds of commentary. 50% of people, oh my God, it's changed my life. It's cured my sleep problems. And 50% of people, I tried it, it didn't work. And, you know, 0.1% something else. So we, so, and then what's great is, so the trend gets big and then writers start writing about it. You get called, Hey Chris, you know, this is a writer for this magazine. I was wondering if you had any time this week for, when I was writing an article about the sleepy girl mocktail and just wanted to know what you had to think about it, what you thought about it. So now we're, we're not only elevating these TikTok video, could this be the cure? Let's get some expert opinion to weigh in. My favorite article is when the writer says, and this is the title of the article. I tried the sleepy girl mocktail 
And this is what happened. <laughs> so great. I mean, just such, oh, I mean, Nobel Prize winning clickbait there. And you read it and, you know, it, it worked or it didn't work. I, I love it when it works. Oh, wow. So what, how, so what was, how do you define work? And it worked for you. One writer who's living in New York City, you drank it and you, what, you fell asleep a little bit quicker than you normally do, or you slept at all. I mean, what, what is the, and how does that apply to somebody? And do you see how that kind of feeds into that fear cycle? Well, what if you're the person who reads that article you saw the TikTok video, kind of ignored it. And now you've read the article in, you know, whatever magazine. And the writer said, I tried it, it really helped. It was, you know, really probably the magnesium, right? Or the tart cherry juice. It's, this is, you know, really, I'm really excited about the potential for this cure here. We may have had a breakthrough. And then you mix up your own little mocktail and shake it up and you drink it and you struggle to fall asleep that night. Wow. You failed again. The thing that was was going to help is now failed. And so I, I, I worry sometimes about these types of sort of cycles that we get in where we don't really take a step back and say, there's not a lot to fear here. You know, we've been dealing with difficulty sleeping and sleeplessness for a long time here. And it's not so much what we do about it or what we drink to fix it or what we put on our wrist or strap on our forehead or consume in our body. It's not about that. It's really about how we start to think about this problem in general. It's it's more of a step back. You know, I, I I've been doing some yoga recently. And I've really liked it. I like a particular kind of yoga class where we do the yoga Maybe there's a comment here and there about check in with yourself. I don't really like the yoga class where there's a lot of talk from the instructor about their own personal journey. It, it distracts me from what I want to think about. But I do think that some discussion there is important. And I like the kinds of ideas of, I want you to take a deep breath and kind of find yourself in this place. Or maybe something like, I want you to be okay with yourself right now. And I kind of like a little comment like that here and there. And I think about those types of things a lot when it comes to insomnia. And I think that to some degree, that will be the next iteration of insomnia therapy. Not, oh God, don't, don't stay in bed. Don't do that. That's madness. You got to get out of bed. You can't lie in bed and be frustrated. That it's going to be more about how are you feeling in this moment? Are you okay with it? Are you okay with yourself? Are you okay with being awake? And I think that's really where we want to come at this thing. It's more about ourselves and our own judgments and our own anxieties and fears and how we're interpreting things. And not so much what we can do about the problem. Because I kind of almost feel like, well, if it makes you feel better, you could close the door to that creepy room. And that way, any bad person with needles sticking out of their head can't get to you. It's like the parents of the kid who's, who's convinced somebody's under their bed. Well, let's go in here. Let's look under the bed. Well, I don't see anybody here. So I think you're okay. 
And that's fine. I mean, it probably reassures a young child. But at the same time, you looked. What were you looking for? You know nobody's going to be there. So you're kind of giving a sense of, of, of validity to the person or monster under the bed or in the closet by looking there or saying, if you get scared, if you feel like somebody's in the closet, just come get us and we'll, we'll check everything out. And, you know, it kind of, it means well, but does it really get to the problem? Because everybody gets to the place where you go to the house where you grew up and you go to the creepy place and it just doesn't have that feeling anymore. Like if I, if you put me back in that room, I would have memories of it, but I don't feel that way about a basement with some crutches hanging on the wall anymore. That's gone now. So, and was it ever there? I guess it's the bigger question. So I did want to touch upon fear of sleep, which I think is a very interesting entity in the sense that there is a lot of talk now about individuals who are sort of classified as having insomnia, who might actually have somnophobia. Uh, there was a study in a paper in 2021 called Fear of Sleep and Trauma, Induced Insomnia Review and Conceptual Model. And there's some really interesting research coming out about fear of sleep and just anxiety of sleep in general and the neural mechanisms that are kind of supporting this sort of thing. And one that really struck me was from a paper in 2021 called Brain Mechanisms Insomnia, New Perspectives on Causes and Consequences. And in it, they kind of speak of a vulnerability to insomnia. And they talk about it being found in the circuits of our brain that sort of control and, and regulate emotion and arousal. So when we get really worked up about something, happy, fearful, anxious, dreading, that's that we, we often refer to that as being aroused, like we're, we're hyper aroused. And a lot of individuals with insomnia become hyper aroused as they move towards going to bed and actually go to bed. I'm going to read from this, which is really fascinating. It says, the model proposes that in people with a vulnerability to develop insomnia, the locus ceruleus, which is a part of the brain, is more sensitive to or receives more input from the salience network in related circuits, even during rapid eye movement sleep, when it should normally be sound asleep. This vulnerability may ignite a downward spiral of ins insufficient overnight adaptation to distress, resulting in accumulating hyperarousal, which in turn impedes restful sleep and moreover increases the risk of other mental health adversity. And this is the key, and we've talked about this before, sensitized brain circuits are likely to be subjectively experienced as sleeping with one eye open. And man, that is everybody who's ever come to this clinic who talks about insomnia, that they don't feel like they truly commit to that lost consciousness. They're always anxious, always in this hyper-aroused state, always sleeping with one eye open. So when we think about insomnia and we think about our own treatments for and the ways moving forward, it really starts to become about how can we work towards desensitizing us to these fears and these these circuitries that are sort of on auto or, or hyperdrive, when in fact the things that we are actually fearing and the, the 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 circumstances that are out there are really not existent. So current future therapies, I really think are going to sort of move towards 
de-escalating this sort of hyper arousal, which is really about what insomnia is. It's a hyper arousal when there shouldn't be. We want to be hypo aroused as we go to sleep, not hyper aroused. And so the question always becomes, okay, well, what do I do about it? Like I go to bed, I'm, my sleep's a mess. I, my sleep is rubbish. How do I kind of make my way through it? And, and I'd like to sort of answer that question with a lyric from the song we talked about at the top of the show, Infinite Dreams. And I think it's a profound one um, for what we're talking about. And so the lyric is, even though it's reached new heights, I rather like the restless nights. It makes me wonder and it makes me think. In other words, when you start to sort of accept the restless nights or the bad night, where that doesn't work to escalate the problem, when you sort of embrace it, I think that can really be a massive tool in your toolkit that it's not about, oh, if you get in bed, you can't fall asleep, get out, get out, my God, get out. The house is on fire, get out. It's even though my anxiety of sleep has reached new heights, I'm going to find a way to sort of be at peace or ideally like the restless night. What is it that you don't like exactly? You know, let's get into the CBTI model. Why are you happy when you're awake watching a football game, but you're not happy awake thinking about a football game? Maybe it'd be kind of fun to wake up and think about your hobbies, think about things you like to do. Maybe think about your ideal travel situation you'd like to do in the future. So again, it's, it's not about what you're going to find in my book or this podcast about here are the things you need to do to make you sleep. The sleep to some extent is on autopilot. It's really about changing our attitudes and feelings about sleep and trying to pull out as much fear from the situation as possible. So that's it. That's the podcast. I want you to think about fear, your relationship to fear and your relationship to fear and sleep if you're somebody who struggles and send me a message. Let me know what, what things you've kind of discovered about yourself. I will say that I did spend the last week with my phone outside of my bedroom. Harrison wrote and said he did too. And he felt like it did help a little bit, you know, after one week. So little tips and tricks like that are great. But in the end, your solution to your insomnia is always going to be within the changes that you make about the way you think about it and the fears you bring to the table. So with that, we'll call it a day. I hope you sleep well. This is the Sleep Unplugged podcast. Hit me up at Dr. Chris Winter. And until next week, sleep well.